I've never met a method podcast host before. Hello, you're on the terrace. We are the companion to Night Terrace, the time travel comedy for your ears. And in this episode, we are, I guess, unbedazzling disco world and going behind the scenes. It was written by Lee Zachariah, and Lee is here for this episode today. Hello, Lee. Hello. And we also have David Ashton, the sound designer for Night Terrace. How are you going, David? I'm good, thank you. I'm Vaya. I'm sci-fi curious and a neighbour's enabler, and I'm having a great old time because there's one episode left of this series. Lee, have you looked at this since you wrote this episode five years ago or so? I reckon the last time I sort of looked and listened to it was when we made it. Uh, and I had a I had a lot of strong memories of like lines and jokes and moments and and, and visuals, but the whole thing, the thing as a whole, I had, I had sort of faded from memory and the details remained. So that was interesting. And Lee, you currently write for a news and politics show. Mm. Is this sci-fi world a little more your comfort zone? Oh, I, I would say comfort zone. Um, you know, before I was, you know, following the news and, and writing about the intricacies of politics, I was, you know, watching Doctor Who and trying to write comedy. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, this is, this is definitely in the comfort zone okay. for me. What about 70s disco? Is that in the comfort zone? <laughs> well, I think anyone who knows me would know that, it, of course it is. No. Uh, no, that, that's, that's the thing that actually makes me laugh the most about this episode is the fact that uh, John got me to write an episode about 70s discos. Like that, that is to me the funniest part. It is so not my world. This is not the first time he's done this. We wrote a play together about Eurovision, which I have never watched start to finish. I have seen clips from Eurovision. I'm very aware of what Eurovision is but without ever having actually watched it or engaged with it in any way. So, so John has a way of sort of drawing me into the, the sort of very, very glam side of life that I have absolutely no familiarity with. Why doesn't John Richards himself want to dip into that world? I think, uh, I feel like it's his world. He knows it so well. And uh, this is his valiant attempt to, to try and bring me into it. Maybe he's just trying to educate Maybe, yeah. It 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 could be an edu- I could be the the my fair lady to uh, <laughs> his uh, professor. I want to say Higgins. Not sure that's correct. Is that correct? Yes. So I'll jump into where we are for Disco World. It's episode seven. We begin right in there in the Disco World. Anastasia and Eddie are boogieing on the D floor in what seems like a seventies club, and then the locals start floating up and disintegrating. Uh, then they meet Bubbles and Sam, who are trying to. I believe, get them on some sort of pingers. And Sue warns them they can't stop the music, so, of course, they give that a go anyway. And then Anastasia suspects they're in some sort of ring world or Dyson sphere or a holographic projection or something else that we'll find out about in episode eight because the whole thing's left on a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Is it answered for me in episode eight? Uh, yes, uh, not really. Sci-fi's not great for the control freaks, is it? It does follow on from this episode, though, and okay. the dangling mysteries of the season get, get addressed in episode eight. So, okay, I've established who the rager is among the Splendid Chaps productions. I'm assuming it's John Richards. I, I think that's a safe bet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because when I entered this the disco world in this episode, I related quite a lot to Eddie in that Eddie was 
running around, I guess, trying not to have the kids take the pills. And uh, (laughs) There was a line where I think it's Sam the bartender says to Eddie, you don't ask questions in the club, you just have to have a good time. Mm. That reminds me of me in my early 20s when my friends were dragging me out to nightclubs. I'm like, why do we have to go here? Why is this good? Why do we have to dress like this? And like, doesn't no, there are no answers to any of these questions. You just have to be here for this period of your life. Yeah, I had a little bit of that. Like, I didn't mind going to these places in my early 20s, but as I got towards sort of even my mid-20s, if I'm being completely honest, I was like, how long before we can leave? (laughs) So uh, there was a little bit of that. I also think, uh, I don't know how conscious this was. I don't know if I should be so open about what I assume my influences were, but... um, I think there was an element of the disco from um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the radio series. There is some sort of weird robotic disco going on, and I think I think I took a, a cue from that. And there and there is a there is an element of you can't possibly you know you can't you're not allowed to leave, and I found the tackiness of that hilarious and. I love that sort of that, that very San Francisco science fiction thing of you are trapped here, you can you can never leave, and uh, so it was yeah probably a, the inspiration was probably um, as much from my own experiences of wanting to get out of discos as it was from Hitchhiker's Guide, and and of course you know the classic holodeck episodes of Star Trek where people get trapped. Lee, the only thing that would have made it more horrifying is if they'd said, "Now let's kick on." Oh God. <laughs> That's the sequel. That's the uh, maybe that's in the next episode. You don't know. Next episode is the after party. <laughs> no. Yeah. This is very good timing, by the way, because I never go out, but I've had a big weekend, and that never happens. So I was listening to this on a plane back from a trip, and the disco was like ringing in my ears, and I'm like, "This is not fair." I've never met a method <laughs> podcast host before. That's new, uh, Daniel Day Lewis would be impressed. It's a new technique I'm trying. <laughs> And also, actually, I just saw one of the voice actors of this episode, a good friend of mine, Adam Richard, who oh, plays yeah. Sparkly Bubbles, who I guess is probably sparkly in real life as well. And I asked what he remembered from recording this and he said uh, he remembers it being in a dark cupboard in a Fitzroy laneway in Melbourne in a million degrees in the summer. Sounds about right. Where yeah, is, sounds about right. Where do you put your voice actors, David? I think that that must have been the the old Bakehouse Studios. Mm. Yeah, it was this weird sort of underground cave. That's what it felt like. It looked like a, a, a normal, it was a North Fitzroy address from the outside, but somehow it, it felt like a cave inside. The walls were painted black and there was sticky carpet, I think. <laughs> I don't know if it was actually sticky, but it, it felt like it would be sticky. So does that mean that Adam Richard was there with the main cast... Ben and Jackie and Petra. And then does that mean you had Naomi Rukavina as Sam separately that day? Uh, yeah, I think she she did it later. Okay. The people who weren't there on our big days, we did in the, in the little telephone kiosk-sized booth that I had at the uh, studio where I did the editing and everything. So she would have been there. Um, ben or, or Petra or somebody or both of them would have been reading all the other lines to her. Did you put people in a booth so they would feel more science fiction-y? Well, it, it was more to do with that's how you record clean audio. Okay, it's real life. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but sure, yeah, you know, we, we, we tell them we're going to teleport them somewhere. Great. Right? And then they... uh, well, since we've got you, David, we should do some sound advice and you could talk me through some of the sounds of this episode. Okay. How did you assemble the disco soundscape? Disco, that was fun. I quite like disco music. It's not what I usually listen to, but it's it's good fun music. So... um. 
I got a collection of loops, commercially available sampled loops, and uh, that you you know you, you mix and match the drums and the bass and the, the different elements. So I was able to create sort of real authentic sounding disco from the seventies. But then I, as it goes on, I replace those sounds with electronic sounds, uh, drum machines and synthesizers and things, and add flangey effects and things. So it gradually gets less and less seventies as as the show goes on. And um, it's it's fairly subtle, I think, but but by the end of it, you you hear it's all yeah, it's not disco anymore. Right. Although it it has the same tempo and bassline and whatever, but it's it's not disco sounds anymore. Are you now qualified to do a set on Ibiza? <laughs> uh, sure, <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's uh, under twenty eight minutes. <laughs> and also, Adam mentioned they recorded it obviously with no music just like a classic film set where there's a party going on and the extras just have to shimmy to nothing. Yeah. Because uh, I just imagined everyone was shuffling and moving as if they were in a club. Yeah, yeah, everyone was dancing while they were recording. <laughs> yeah. Silent disco. But everyone had to shout like they were, they were talking over the music. That kind of thing could be quite, quite tricky to do. I th- I think there's things in other episodes where, um, you know, there's volcanoes or whatever and, and they're meant to be shouting over it. So spoilers for a future episode. Um, <laughs> you know, and you, you listen back to it and you think, oh, they're not quite shouty enough. <laughs> you know? Right. It's, it's the kind of thing that's... it's it's uh, you can't have someone talk normally and then, like, jack up the volume because it just sounds like, you know... Yeah, yeah. They're talking normally. It sounds like they're talking normally. It just yeah. makes the volcano sound quieter, you Yeah, know? that's it. If we're chatting now, could you put us in a... Disco, like if we're somewhere during this conversation. Yeah. But, but we need to be talking like this. Talking like what? Like this. I, I can't hear you. Can someone here get me a drink? I wish they'd turn the music down. It's a really great time though. Hey guys, does this look infected to you? Oh God, the music always goes off when I'm saying something embarrassing. <laughs> Another fun thing to record was all the little, the little comments for the crowd, you know, because we had um, cast members from other episodes doing doing those those little one-off kind of, hey, groovy, kind of in the background, which, which is a lot of fun. I wasn't actually present for recording. I had to work. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't actually get to hear them record this one. That's the fun bit, Lee. I know. I wanted to be there. Okay, the disintegration sounds, what were they made up of when they evaporated into the air? Well, the trick is when, when you do an explosion, there's kind of two main parts to the sound. First is like this sort of sharp percussive sort of, bang at the start and then there's the sort of whooshy rumble that as the sound continues so I wanted it to sound not quite violent like a like a real explosion but but just a sort of sparkly effect so I played down the the sharp bang at the start of the explosion so it's a, a bit more sort of whooshy and then I put in some tinkly bells to suggest glitter and what about the scene where Eddie trashes the DJ booth like an old rocker did I hear ten pin bowling sounds in there? <laughs> yeah, I think you did. Yeah, yeah. That, that was just a question of of just finding some destructive sounds and throwing <laughs> them in. So, um, yeah, there, there may well have been some ten pin bowling in there. It's very interesting writing stuff like that. You, you've got to be really careful when you're writing for audio to not just have characters say, "Here's what's happening," mm. but also know that you can't just write it in a script and expect that the audience will know. So, it, it's always. A fine line, and it always amazes me when when David's able to to realise something that shouldn't be able to. You shouldn't be able to make that sound like the sound of someone dissolving through a ceiling, um, and that. But yeah, he manages it, and uh, it's 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 a really great sounding episode, I think. And I think Ben McKenzie as Eddie does a good job of narrating his actions mm. without it sounding clunky. He's yeah. just 
he, he's curious and he is thinking through things out loud, which is helpful to us, <laughs> but it feels natural because he's that kind of character. There, there is a fun art to writing that type of, uh, of, of monologuing. It doesn't just sound like yeah. monologuing, yeah. And when Anastasia does it, is it's because, again, it's part of her process. She's mm. She also thinks she's being watched, so she's talking to someone. Oh. Like, she's like... You know, I figured out what's going on. I know that I'm just going up a staircase that goes on forever. Don't think I don't know that. You know, she's careful to show off to them. Is the world that they're in a projection or is, or is it real? Or do, am I not allowed to know that yet? It's, a, it's like a virtual reality sort mm. of world. I mean, I, I, I can't remember exactly the, the process we came about in creating this. I, I know obviously the disco stuff came from John. I think maybe the holodeck, but I can't remember uh, aspect of it or all being an illusion. But um, I'd always been fascinated with Dyson Spheres. Yes, please, let's have a minute for you to talk me through Dyson Spheres. So as, uh, as a kid, there was a, there was a book called um, Ring World, which may or may not have been written by Larry Niven, I think. I didn't actually read it, I just remember the cover. Uh, I was fascinated by the fact that you would... Uh, imagine if you like took the Earth's uh, orbit and you built sort of a ring around the sun that was just in this permanent state uh, at the right distance from the sun. It, the, the 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 engineering feat of that blew me away, and the next step of that was enclosing a, a star altogether, and that's one of my favourite science fiction concepts. And I'd always want to write something like that, and I thought, why not just go the full hog, have the sun be a gigantic disco ball, and the Dyson sphere be the biggest uh, uh, disco of all time. Uh, now, what was interesting is I checked the dates. I think we recorded this in May or June of 2014. And then in November, uh, the Doctor Who episode Death in Heaven came out in which there is, without spoiling it for those who haven't seen it, um, kind of a Dyson sphere that's also kind of an afterlife, which is kind of what we do in ours. And That's not uh, fair. I know, and I didn't actually put it together. I just watched it and went, oh, what a cool episode. And then I think John texted me and went, can you believe that happened? And it took me a while to put the pieces together. But, yeah, it was, um, that was a, a complete coincidence that we both sort of went to that same well. And what is the purpose of the Dyson Sphere? Is it they're saying that they're absorbing all of the sun's power or all of the disco power? Yeah, it's basically instead of going off and having to colonise lots and lots of worlds, you're like, well, we know the exact distance we need to be from the star... Uh, and we've somehow managed to get enough material to build however many Earths you'd need. Because the, the actual surface area is like millions of times the surface area of the, the Earth, just because of the, the huge distances right. involved. Oh, how did you go about splicing together the voices? Was it Bubbles and Sam and Sue that you had to flush between? Oh, yeah, we, we got the, all three of them to record the whole thing, and then I just, I just winged it, I think. It's a beautiful edit. I love yeah. the way they mix together. It was, it was fun to do. You know, sometimes it, some phrases that flowed together well and then some that overlapped well and some that didn't. So I just played around until I got something I, th- I like the sound again, of. Yeah. Again, that's one of those things that you write and think, I don't know if this is going to work, but let's see what yeah. David comes up with. What did you put on the page? Do you remember, Lee? What, what would have... In the script, I really just had the names as Bubbles slash Sam slash Sue. And uh, didn't really offer any direction. I mean, I'm sure we must have had a conversation... Uh, about it, about how they would have blended together. Um, but, yeah, in the scripts, it's just, here's all three of them. Lee, are there any of your other favourite sci-fi tropes woven through here? I think the idea of the uh, the silly drink order 
is always a fun one in science fiction. Somebody ordering something that just has a ridiculous name. Fnub. I just want to say it. Fnub. 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 With extra strills. <laughs> um, and I like the idea of having the bartender just make one for someone and then Eddie trying to copy that to fit in and then the bartender looking like... Like anyone would look at you if you went up to a bartender and asked for a fnub. Yeah. So that was, that, that was a bit of fun. Was Eddie warning everyone off of the grey pills a reference to Woodstock? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Okay. It was it was that whole thing, which to be honest, my first exposure to that was Wayne's World 2. Uh, nobody eat the, the red licorice. And the original reference is about brown acid, yeah. is that right? And so, and so, yeah, through that I learned about the whole brown acid thing and then, yeah, I thought it would be funny if uh, to have Eddie basically be the, the person warning everyone off the what he thinks is a, is a very uh, dangerous pill. Uh, and I did also appreciate their walkie-talkie conversation when Anastasia just hangs up on him. Like, he's doing his little sign-off and she's just, nah. I'll let you know if I find something. Anastasia, out. Eddie, out. Yeah. <laughs> We're done here. <laughs> Yeah, she, he, he's loving the science fiction tropes. She's fed up with them. Yeah. So every time he tries to slip into them, no. Also wanted to point out the scene between Bubbles and Anastasia, the little who's on first-esque, do you think, who do you think, what do you think, I think, you think, I think, bit. That is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always obsessed that we'll never have another who's on first and we're all just going to forever be going around trying to get ourselves into... Verbal what hockey. What will be this generation's who's on first? <laughs> that is the question. Uh, no, no, I'm. I, I don't know. It's it, there is comedy is so ubiquitous now that it's hard for anything to have the breakthrough of who's on first. But it would be nice if our generation had a who's on first. Or it happens for one day on Twitter or on YouTube, and then it goes away. It's more like a trope, and everyone yes. comes up with their own hack version of the trope. Yes. Oh, I think you think you do, but I don't think you do. You don't think I do? I don't think so. What is it you think I think? I'm not falling for that one. I do have to say that my favourite part of writing this episode, I think, was... And I think I did this with Starship Australis as well, where rather than coming up with a concept and working uh, working around it, it was more coming up with a punchline and working backwards. <laughs> and so, That's how I do most things. Well, that's <laughs> the life. best way to work, I think. That's how I do my work. personal admin. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I have my death all planned and <laughs> the rest of my life is just... It'll, it'll be hilarious. I cannot wait. I'm really looking forward to that. But um, the... Yeah, so, so yeah, Starship Australis had that big final joke which really informed sort of the structure of, of, the, of the rest of it. And this one was the idea of, you know, the very Australian thing of uh, measuring things in terms of either Olympic-sized swimming pools or football fields. And I remember spending a good few hours like just sitting down and calculating uh, how big a standard-sized football field is, trying to figure out which code of football and then landing on my preferred code and then trying to figure out what a standard size is, discovering there was no standard size in oh my the NFL, God. trying to land on a, an average based on, I think, the MCG, which I think should be the gold standard. Uh, so, so just for our, our international friends, Eddie does measure his football fields in terms of Australian rules football. Yes, yes. And, and not and just Australian rules football, one specific stadium in Melbourne. Wow. <laughs> of all the, the football fields, it is, it is the greatest. It's, and, and it's an iconic Victorian landmark. It, it's where the, the grand final is always held. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful place. And so I, cal- I got the measurements for that. Sort of did a basic calculation of figuring out sort of the surface of 
of a Dyson sphere and then calculating that and then working backwards with that joke. And it wasn't just that I was really pleased with the, with, with the eventual punchline, but also how, how much that informs sort of their worldviews and, and, and that Eddie is, you know, for all of his nerdery and, and being a massive square and all that, he is still very Australian. And that he, he has that innate need to measure things in terms of, of football fields. Um, anyway, I just wanted to, uh, to talk about that as, as one of the origins for this, uh, this story is that, that, that very uh, dumb that, punchline. That's real dedication when, when your comedy writing involves a lot of maths. I know. Uh, and me having to do maths is not a, is not a fun day yeah. at the park. Beyond high school, when you swore to yourself, you would never look at it again. <laughs> and it's useful for a joke. And I bet Larry Niven has no idea what uh, what the size of a football field exactly. is. Exactly. Yeah. Or a disco. I don't know a lot about Larry Niven. Maybe he's hugely into disco. Who knows? Yeah. He was around in the 70s. Yeah. Maybe Ursula Le Guin took him. Do, did other writers take on the trope of the ring world or was that just his thing? Ah, though, that's a really good question. Since then, I think it's, it's, it's a trope. I know Ian M. Banks yeah. uses um, ring worlds and things. Right. Because the and Dyson Sphere... Showed up in a in a Star Trek episode. It's named after an astronomer. Dyson, I think, is a, a an actual scientist who came up with a concept. Oh, I thought it was like an extension of that. I thought it was like three books into the Ringworld series. He see, I should have really done my research <laughs> before not only appearing on this podcast but writing a script about Dyson spheres. And as long as we're all clear that we're not talking about a new trendy vacuum cleaner, no, no. then we're okay. Not uh, we're talking about the vacuum of space, not the vacuum <laughs> of uh, domesticity. <laughs> now, I could have done a really subtle, nerdy techno joke with the music and put in the Hoover sound, which is a specific synth sound that was big in rave music at one point. Wow. Re- and it would have been really? a Dyson Hoover joke. Yeah, yeah. That is on so many levels. And, that, and that, that would have been a totally crossover nerd reference that no one would have got. And, the, and when else in your life are you going to have a chance to, for that yeah. sound effect? David, can you go back and insert it into that fake disco scene we did before? I will. Yes. Listeners, you would have heard that already. <laughs> what? Say that again. Oh, sorry. No, we're not, we're not doing it anymore. No, the club's closed. Last drink. <laughs> ah, Sydney. <laughs> well, we should actually, since we're recommending a few bits and pieces already, let's all go around and recommend another little tidbit while people wait for the final in this series of Night Terrors to drop. Okay, so I'll, I'll recommend uh, the, the Hitchhiker's Guide uh, radio show, which I, I mentioned earlier the first two seasons of which are my favourite piece of art ever, like on any, in any medium. Oh. The original 12 episodes of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And, uh, yeah, when you get to the disco scene, you will hear the moment that incepted itself into my brain and helped, helped bring about this episode. And, by the way, one other thing we should mention is that not only am I not super familiar with discos, and wrote a script about discos. I'm also not super familiar with Terry Pratchett's Discworld, and yet the title is a very deliberate pun. Okay, David. Uh, yeah, I'm going to recommend something which connects to music. Uh, well, it's called the Bureau, so it has uh, the generically named organisation, a bit like we have the the department. Department, yeah. Um, and it's a comic book. It's the working day in the life of someone who works for the Bureau, which is a sinister bureaucratic organisation. Uh, the thing is that the the guy who did this comic, Ethan Persoff, he did a soundtrack to it, and the soundtrack has a piece of music for every panel of the graphic novel, 
And it goes you know, basically in real time for this guy's uh, working day. So it's nine hours of music. Mm. And I, I think that deserves a shout out. Wow. Just for the sheer amount of work this guy put in. And yeah, the Bureau, I thought there's a, there's a bit of a, a, a resonance there with Night Terrace's department. Well, I'm going to recommend a very, very short clip to celebrate Eddie and his, uh, his squareness in this episode. You should go and look up on YouTube Sesame Street's parody of It's Hip to Be Square by Huey Lewis in the News. Theirs is It's Hip to Be a Square and it's literal square shapes. Brilliant. Yeah, it's just shapes. It's just different shapes all getting along. It just, it'll make you feel nice. It's squares. <laughs> Love it. Well, that's it. One more ep of Series 1 to go. For more info on this podcast and Night Terrace, head to nightterrace.com. Uh, my show is Neighbours, the Neighbours Recap Podcast at neighbourspod.com for your fix on what Susan Kennedy's been up to. She's housing a chemical terrorist. That's what I'll tell you. He's an amnesiac, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, Lee, where are you on socials? I'm at Lee Zachariah. Spell it however you want. Uh, best of luck finding me. Good David? I'm at, at Dave, that's me. And you can tweet at Night Terrace and use the hashtag on the terrace to chat about all the episodes. Get up to date on the recent episodes at bbc.co.uk or the BBC iPlayer app or BBC Sounds. Catch up on the rest of these episodes on your favourite podcast app and you can join us next time for another cuppa on the terrace. Bye. Bye. Can't hear you over the Discord. Okay, one more drink. Let's go. You have been listening to On the Terrace, a Splendor Chaps production. Find more entertainment for your ears at SplendorChaps.com.